Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol is deep in a bunker in an undisclosed location, avoiding that COVID-19, but she is with us on FaceTime and on the radio, and we're delighted to have her here, a graduate of Trinity University and the University of the Incarnate Word, a master's degree in social gerontology and known across this country for her work on aging and aging issues and on caregivers as well. And Carol, it's great to see you. Well, it's nice to see you, Ron. You've been doing a lot of work on COVID-19, and before we jump to our very special guest, Grace Whiting, I want to bring people up to date on what the WellMed Charitable Foundation is doing to deliver stuff to folks who have no other way to get it, and whatever that it is. We have several programs. We have a a program where we're actually WellMed delivers using volunteers from our staff who donate money so that we can buy groceries and take those to older adults and caregivers um, who don't have access to food. Uh, and then we also, through our senior centers uh, and in any of our well-med markets, we are doing drive-by meals, and we've done almost 115,000 drive-by meals since COVID started in March. Wow. That's quite a lot of meals. And these are it's, folks... You know, and it's growing. It's growing every month. I mean, the numbers are going up, not down. And a lot of the work that uh, you do spins out of the need... Uh, for caregiving and caregivers and support uh, for folks who are aging in place. Well, one of the issues, of course, we tell people don't isolate, and now we're telling them isolate. And, and so for them and for many, there's a lot of mental stress as well. Well, there is, and and we see that and when we hear that. Um, I have the privilege of serving on the Race Family Advisory Council uh, for Health and Human Services, and there was a caregiver um, on the line that was just listening and putting in comments. And her comments were, there's nobody, you know, there's nobody out there to work for me anymore. I can't, I've lost all my in-home workers and things are getting worse. Um, and you could just feel the stress coming off of her, even though she was typing in a chat box. Wow. Well, certainly Grace Whiting knows a lot about this. She's president and chief executive officer at the National Alliance for Caregiving, and she is joining us on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline. Uh, she is currently a licensed attorney in the District of Columbia Bar and a member of the American Society on Aging, the American Society of Association Executives, and the Gerontology Society. Grace earned her law degree from the University of Memphis School of Law and her undergraduate degree with honors in communication studies from Louisiana State University, lives in Silver Spring, Maryland, with writer and darling husband, this is her bio, I love that darling husband, Jeffrey Whiting, and their rambunctious pug, Chief Justice. I like that. Chief Justice. Chief Justice. What a great name for a dog. So, <laughs> so Grace, He's thanks for joining us. Kind of dog is he, Grace? He's a pug. Oh, a pug. He's a pug. A pug. He's yes. a pug. He's so perfectly he, pug. He has that... Yeah, he has that distinguished look of a judge. <laughs> Just put a little white wig on him and you can put him on the bench, right? That's right. <laughs> now, you have been so many places and have done 
so much. We would take the entire time if I were to list all that you have done. But what got you involved in the whole issue of caregiving in the very beginning? What dragged you in? I came to it really um, by accident in many ways. I had been, I moved to Washington and wanted to do work in policy and worked for an association of home health providers. And through that work, realized that we're seeing more and more people push onto the family member activities that used to be handled by medical professionals. And then I happened to meet um, my predecessor, Gail Hunt, who founded the National Alliance for Caregiving. And um, this is going to sound silly, but it was love at first sight in the sense of Gail was and is a brilliant uh, innovator, thought leader, and she really took me under her wing and gave me a chance to get engaged on caregiving. And I have to say, it's been seven years now, and I just, there's just always more to uncover. Have you had an opportunity to be a caregiver as well? I have not. Um, although what's funny is that you never think about, you know, the caregiving in your life until you get exposed to it or someone points it out. And my baby sister, who, who's now grown up and doing awesome things with her life, but she, um, she had pediatric brain cancer. And, you know, we never really thought about it. But then as I got into this work, I realized, you know, caregiving, even, even when things go well and people, um, you know, survive uh, something like that and they go on to, to live their lives, there's a long shadow that caregiving casts over your family, the way you interact with each other, the financial impact that, uh, you know, down the road. Of course, this is before the Affordable Care Act. So, you know, the impact on retirement and, um, and family relationships and, and how people interact even as adults. So it's, um, it's a topic that's close to my heart. And then like many, like so many, um, I've had uh, two grandparents that were affected um, that had dementia. And so, um, and that has also been, you know, challenging to watch my family struggle with how they're going to do activities of care and also, you know, engage in other parts of their life. I think you muted yourself. I did mute I myself just... because my, <laughs> my cat was attacking me here in my home office. So, um, so I, I had the privilege of listening to you yesterday, Grace, on a webinar for the Administration on Community Living, um, and you were sharing some of the latest um, statistics around caregiving and COVID. When you look at the numbers, what is it that jumps out to you at this time? There's really three things I would say that jump out on me, um, and, and you know, Speaking of the numbers, so we do this great report with AARP roughly every five years called Caregiving in the U.S., and the most recent version has come out. It started, it's a series of work that started in 1997, but we just recently put out the new one, and we see really three big things. Um, There's just more people providing care than ever before. There's nine and a half million more Americans who are caring for someone um, compared to when we looked at this back in 2015. And that's a total of 53 million Americans, so roughly one out of five people. And we also know that people are caring for 
the more likely than they were five years ago to be caring for multiple people at the same time. And uh, they're also caring for longer. Um, and, you know, some of that is a success story in that medicine has gotten so much better that people are living longer lives. But it also means that families are feeling a little bit of that squeeze because they don't always get the support they need to, to care for people in their life. Well, you, yesterday you talked about one of the uh, probably one of the last trips that you took um, to Great Britain, and you talked about a T-shirt that you were wearing that kind of got attention. Since caregiving can be something that's behind the scenes, what did your T-shirt say, and what kind of reaction did you get? So, um, the Carers UK and uh, their National Health Service had this wonderful campaign that. Um, was that was do I look like I care? And they had buttons and bracelets and a T-shirt. So I'm going through TSA and I'm wearing this shirt, and it's just basically a all black shirt, white lettering. Do I look like I care? And you know I'm getting stopped by like every TSA agent <laughs> <laughs> because I look like a bit of a troublemaker. But it it was a great way to start a conversation, and I had even worn it, um, you know, because when you go to international meetings, people are jet-lagged and they're tired, so we have a big dinner that we do with all of the other heads of caregiving organizations around the world, and I wore the shirt there, and it started a lot of robust conversations um, about how we challenge people to think about who is a caregiver and who's involved in caregiving, and is it something that we can tell just by looking at people or, you know, is it uh, something that so many of us are dealing in our day-to-day life and, and we just forget to notice or acknowledge the great work that caregivers are doing? Now, for folks who just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Our special guest is Grace Whiting, President and Chief Executive Officer at the National Alliance for Caregiving, NAC, NAC. And our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is here as well. And, Carol, when you think of the impact, uh, not only of caregiving for uh, perhaps multiple people, then throw in COVID-19, and and you and I are on a conference call twice a week, uh, and and the staggering numbers of people now diagnosed positive and the numbers of people who are dying, if you're a caregiver, has to scare the bejesus out of you. Well, you know, it really is such a scary time, and the stories, the the growing number of stories among our caregivers and and among our team members where the caregiver and the person they're caring for are both coming down with COVID at the same time. One person gets exposed, the other person gets exposed. It's a close relationship, um, and not everybody's making it. Uh, And sometimes they're both in the hospital at the same time. If one of them's in the hospital, there's no visitation. And these stories are just heart-wrenching. And for those who are uh, trying to provide help and assistance, like the National Association uh, for Caregiving, how do you break through all this, uh, Grace Whiting? Is there a need to change legislation? Is there a need for more money? Is there a need for more training? What do we do? We need to understand, I think, that COVID-19 is not... It's amplifying what caregivers are going through, but it's and it's creating new caregivers. But it's not, I think, revealing anything that people who are dealing with this day to day didn't already know. So some of the issues that we're seeing are 
for example, gatekeeping, you know, not being allowed to be at the bedside of someone that you've been caring for to help in their plan of care. Um, you know, this sort of concept that we think caregivers are just visitors who show up with balloons and casseroles when really caregivers are doing activities of care. They're doing medical nursing tasks. They are providing emotional support and companionship. We've been thinking through how do we help support caregivers and then working on a multi-stakeholder project to define a framework for really mapping, okay, this is what caregivers are going through. And I think one of the things that's starting to emerge in these conversations is the workplace is a major issue where a lot of the new legislation to protect workers and support those who are caring for someone with COVID-19 leaves out a lot of caregivers who may not have the support they normally would have because of the pandemic. The other areas, I think, are technology, making sure that people have access to high-speed internet so they can participate in telehealth or they can work remotely, which uh, so many people are doing. And then, of course, the financial security issues. You know, this is a, a very challenging time in our history as a country. And Many people are feeling stretched and experiencing financial impacts. And we know from our data that, you know, the majority of caregivers are working, six out of ten, and the majority of those working caregivers have some type of financial or workplace impact where they're trying to balance work and care. And, of course, that data was collected before the pandemic really started in the U.S. So you can only imagine what the impact might be if we were to ask the same question today. Now, hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The answer, Grace Whiting, our special guest, president and CEO at the National Alliance for Caregiving. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you, it is important to stay connected while social distancing Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Well, we are rocking right along here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. It is the new normal. On FaceTime and in a bunker somewhere at an undisclosed location, our co-host Carol Zerniel is with us and on the phone as well from the East Coast, Washington, D.C. Grace Whiting is here, President and Chief Executive Officer at the National Alliance for Caregiving. I'm Ron Aaron. On Caregiver SOS On Air, uh, we have been talking for the past uh, several months now about the impact of COVID-19, and uh, Grace touched on that very well, uh, that it has in many ways, uh, exposed a lot of what uh, caregiving has been doing for a very long time, but hasn't had that kind of attention. And, and you were talking, uh, Grace, about trying to bring that to the fore, as well as uh, to provide more support for caregivers everywhere. We're, we're at a point now uh, where as people age into their 60s and 70s and 80s, we're going to run out of family caregivers. Uh, and, and there is no cadre yet uh, of paid caregivers, are there? Well, I would question that a little bit if, if we're running out or if the way that we care for each other is changing. I watch way too much television, um, but I always think about the Golden Girls, uh, you know, the, the show 
from the 1980s right. where you had a group of women, you know, living together. Um, and I think we see a lot of that now because even though family sizes are shrinking and we no longer have that unique, are you going to sort of the atomic family unit where you have a heterosexual couple and they're married and they have, you know, two and a half kids and the kids help care for them. I think we're seeing a lot of innovation in the way that we take care of each other, but we may not always recognize or call that caregiving. The other big change when we look at caregiving is just technology. You know, when we look at our global colleagues, for example, in Japan, you can see the use of assisted devices and even robots to help take on activities of care. And in the United States, you can see little pieces of that um, that we may not even realize because we don't think about it every day. But if you're using Alexa to help you order groceries or you have a delivery service for household items and personal care items, or you're using a rideshare service like Lyft or Uber to help with transportation, many of those activities that normally would have been done by a caregiver may be taken on by other members in the community, whether that's private sector partners or um, community-based partners. So I think we're seeing there are less available people. There's a workforce shortage, but we're also seeing creative solutions to try to get at that workforce shortage. Well, Grace, do you think there's an opportunity here during COVID to make a leap towards um, adoption of more technologies? I know within our caregiver teleconnection program, which is our telephone education and support program, we're seeing that increased numbers. You know, uh, the participation has really, really grown from pre-COVID. Um, and is this an opportunity? Do we need to share more of those um, adaptive technologies at this time when people are sort of receptive to it? I think this is a great opportunity. I think that is right, Carol. This is an opportunity to really move the conversation forward because we're, you know, nobody wanted to use telehealth uh, before, but now that, you know, we have to, like they say, necessity is the mother of invention. So people, I think, are much more open to learning and working with different technology the counterbalance is that technology is wonderful. It allows us to do amazing things, but we also do need uh, contact with other humans. I mean, you know, whether it's holding someone's hand or giving them a hug. And I think the isolation and the mental and behavioral health piece is one that we still haven't solved yet um, and, and sort of the next place to go is how do we keep caregivers from feeling like they're um, – really isolated and alone. And and that was something we saw in our report, too. You know, even before the pandemic, one out of five caregivers said that they felt alone. And we know that people who are caregiving and feel alone are more likely to use social media and other technologies. So how do we leverage those technologies in such a way that we can reduce some of those feelings of being isolated? There was a wonderful story on CNN last night, husband and wife. Married uh, 50 plus years, both have uh, the virus, both were dying. Uh, he finally was able uh, to get permission to see her sit there, hold her hand, which they had not done in months, in months. And he talked to her as she died. And the whole point of that story was we can be more accommodating. There's no reason not to have him there. Both are already infected. What's the difference uh, on the one hand? And uh, it, it made, at least for them, 
a, a moment of peace. He then died several days later. So it it was a story that really touched your heart. I have a neighbor whose wife is uh, in a memory unit, and they locked everybody out, and he went to war. He said, look, I provide a lot of help there that your nurses can't do. I feed her three times a day. I bathe her. I, I, I change her diaper. You can't do that without me. You don't have the staff. And he threatened to go to court. They said, okay, okay, you win, and they let him in. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I mean, that's the thing. That's the power of caregivers. And I think that sort of, dare I say, righteous anger that, hey, we're not visitors. We're not just window dressing. He took umbrage at that. Including. Yeah. yeah, that really insulted it's, him. That uh, we need yeah. essential people here, not you frifraff. And uh, now, not many people are, are willing to do what he did. It takes a lot of gumption, a lot of courage, uh, and a lot of intestinal fortitude to stand up to the man. But he did. He well, did. and I wonder well, how much I, of. Go sorry, ahead, Carol. Sorry, Grace. I, I was just going to say, I wonder how much of this is a lack of PPE that's available um, in these facilities so that if a caregiver needed, you know, came in with the appropriate PPE, really an N95 mask and some gloves where there's almost zero uh, chance of getting an infection when warm appropriately or or infecting anybody else, um, if that would change the playing field. That's a good point. What do you think, Grace? I think PPE is part of it, um, but I also think it's recognizing that caregivers are part of the care team and that they they are doing these other activities and giving people meaningful things that they can do to engage. We were talking with some nurses a couple of weeks ago about some work around uh, inflammatory bowel disease and, and how do you integrate families into caring for someone with this condition. And, you know, some of the nurses, and I asked them point blank, you know, tell us about the families that you feel like are really helping with what you're doing and the families that maybe aren't so helpful. And one of the nurses smiled and said, you know, there's always that family member that when you see them coming down the hall, you turn to your colleague and you say, oh, it's time for my break. And so I think what's happening there is not that families want to be um, perceived or to even be in the way of what a medical professional is doing, but that we need to identify what families can do that would be helpful, that is meaningful, and recognize the enormous, enormous uh, amount of work that many families are doing at home in the community and even in facilities, um, and just carve out some of those lines a little more clearly so that if a family member is the kind of person that's coming down the hall and you're trying to run the other way, rather than running the other way, you can say, you know what, it would be really helpful if she could help me with this, this, and this. Right. And really channel that energy. Carol? Well, you know, I, I agree that the whole integration um, of, of the caregiver into either a care team in a residential facility or in a healthcare setting, once it's safe again to do so, you know, that, there's so much valuable information and communication, um, and, you know, we just have not done enough to integrate the caregiver, even though we're just starting to, you know, to like with the CARE Act, the original CARE Act, not the one for COVID, but to, to talk about having hospitals let caregivers know when they're discharging. And that seems so basic, and we had to pass a law to do that. Right. Uh, so we've got a long way to go. 
So, Grace, we've got about a minute left to uh, uh, solve all the problems in the world. What are some of the things we haven't touched on that you'd like to bring up? I think one is just that caregiving is so much more diverse and nuanced than we think of it being. You know, we know across the lifespan, there are people caring from all the way from Gen Z up to the greatest generation. So, you know, we've, we tend to sort of stereotype in our minds, this is who a caregiver is. But the reality is that people of all ages are caregiving and, and in a lot of different ways. And, you know, the other thing I would just say that's really top of mind is just that importance to understanding cultural competency to having representation from people of diverse ethnic and racial backgrounds. And when we think about some of the larger conversations about racial justice in the United States, part of that is healthcare. It's capturing data on diverse populations who are disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 and creating programs where we can meet people where they are. That's pretty important. For folks who want to learn more about what you all are doing at the National Alliance for Caregiving, where's a website they can go to? The best website is caregiving.org. And you can find our most recent report there, as well as some resources for families during COVID-19 and a whole bunch of other wonderful research and white papers and uh, other projects that we've been doing. Well, I really appreciate you being with us, and we'll do it again. Thanks, Grace. Thank you. You take care. Bye-bye. Grace Whiting, Chief Executive Officer of National Alliance for Caregiving. Along with Carol Zerniel, our co-host, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.